Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop into spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be consecration. Let's begin in the book of Judges, chapter 16. In Judges chapter 16, we're referring to Delilah and Samson. If we begin in the 15th verse, it says, And she said unto him, How canst thou say I love thee, when thine heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. And it came to pass, when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him, so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart, and said unto her, There have not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lord of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand, and she made him sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before, and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Now Samson had lied to Delilah three times before this about the source of his great strength because it was a secret between him and God. She had asked him three other times where his strength came from, and he had lied to her. And when the Philistines came to take him, he was able to get away from them because he still retained his strength. No one else was supposed to know where his strength came from. As a Nazarite, he was consecrated to God from his birth, which is why God gave him the gift of such unusual strength. It wasn't his hair itself that gave him his strength. It was his consecration to God. His hair was only the outward manifestation of his consecration. Since he had never shaved his head, his hair was noticeable to those around him. When others would see him, they would recognize him as a Nazarite consecrated to God because of his long hair. This made the way that he conducted himself of even more importance because he was a representative of the God that he was consecrated to. His hair was the manifestation but it was also the pledge of his consecration. If he lost his hair, he would lose his strength. The definition of pledge in the context of law is a thing that is given as security for the fulfillment of a contract or the payment of a debt and is liable to forfeiture in the event of failure. This is why in verse 17, Samson said, If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. He knew that if he lost his hair, he would lose his strength. He told Delilah his secret. She cut his hair 
and he failed, and in turn he forfeited his strength. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Now in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in the ninth verse, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And although we aren't Nazarites like Samson, we as born-again believers are set apart by God and consecrated to him. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven and representatives of our God. God chose us to be his special peculiar people. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is why our actions and conduct are so important as believers. Since we are representatives of God, our actions and our conduct reflect back on God, either positively or negatively, based on what we do. Matthew 5 and 16 says, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Once we tell people that we are Christians, we become like fish in a fishbowl. We are constantly under close examination and scrutiny. Many people are watching to see how we react to different things, where we go, and what we'll do next because they're waiting for us to mess up and fail, just like Delilah waited for Samson to fail. But if we stay faithful to our consecration, we will be victorious and won't fail, and others will come to God because of that. It all begins with us understanding that we are set apart and consecrated to God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 20 and 21 in the English Standard Version reads, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. We together as believers are the household of faith, and we both collectively and individually are set apart by God to glorify Him and to do good works out of our love for Him. The word consecrate is a verb, meaning to make or declare to be sacred, to appropriate to sacred uses, to set apart, dedicate, or devote to the service and worship of God. We find that the priests of the Levitical priesthood were consecrated to the Lord because of their service in the temple. Exodus 29 and 9 says, Thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. Not only were those in the priesthood consecrated, but also the items used in the temple. Joshua 6 and 19 says, All the silver and gold and the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated to the Lord. We find all throughout scripture, people and things that were consecrated to God. When it comes to people, they become consecrated when they make a vow to God. The vow becomes their pledge of consecration. Like with Samson breaking his pledge, if we fail to keep our vow, then we in turn forfeit the benefits that come with the consecration. In 1 Samuel 
We find an account similar to that of Samson. An angel had appeared to his mother before he was born, and said in Judges 13 and 5, For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And we found that with Samson, and although an angel didn't appear in the account of Samuel, we find very similar circumstances. Before Samuel was born, his mother Hannah went to the temple. And in 1 Samuel 1.11, it says, And she vowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. It's also important to note that both Samson and Samuel's mothers were barren before they had them, and both were entered into their vow by someone else without their consent, rather than by their own volition, and they were both Nazarites. The only two examples of Nazarites in the Bible, referring to specific people, are Samson and Samuel. The word Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word Nazar, meaning to abstain from or to consecrate oneself to. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, a Nazarite was a sacred person whose separation was most commonly marked by his uncut hair and his abstinence from wine. Originally, the Nazarite was endowed with special charismatic gifts and normally held his status for life. Besides not shaving and abstinence from wine, the other part of the vow is to not become ritually impure by contact with corpses and graves, including those of family members. Samson had a unique Nazarite status called Nazir Shimshon, which permitted him to touch dead bodies, like when he killed the 30 Philistines in Ashkelon in Judges chapter 14. Because the angel that appeared to his mother, who imposed the vow on Samson, omitted this restriction, the term Nazarite is mentioned 12 times throughout the Bible, and all of those mentions are in the Old Testament. Only twice do we find a specific person being a Nazarite. Let's go to the book of Amos, chapter 2. In the book of Amos, chapter 2, starting in the 8th verse, it says, And they lay themselves down upon clothes, laid the pledge by every altar, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and he was strong as the oaks. Yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. Also I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and led you forty years throughout the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorite. And I raised up of your sons for prophets, and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord? But ye gave the Nazarites wine to drink, and commanded the prophets, saying, Prophesy not. Behold, I am pressed unto you, as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Therefore, the flight shall perish from the swift, and the strong shall not strengthen his force. Neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow. And he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. Neither shall he that rideth the horse deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day, saith the Lord. We find that God is here condemning Judah on a national level for what we found Samson did on an individual level. Matthew Henry said in his commentary of Amos, 
They had Nazarites that were bright examples of piety. These God raised up to be his witnesses against the impieties of that degenerate age. He charges them with the abuse of the means of the grace they enjoyed. They did what they could to debauch good people. You gave the Nazarites wine to drink, contrary to their vow. The Nazarites of Judah were not upholding their end of the vow, and because of that they forfeited the blessings and the benefits that come from keeping it. And we should also note that they were given the wine to drink by those around them. Their fellow countrymen gave it to them. They were betrayed, which should remind us of Delilah betraying Samson, betraying his trust and love for her by getting him to break his vow and forfeit his strength. We find a great contrast between the accounts of Samson and Samuel. Samson broke his vow, while Samuel kept his for his entire life. Samson was endowed with great strength, and Samuel was endowed with the gift of prophecy and became one of the greatest prophets in the history of Israel. The great difference in their stories has to do with their vow. Samson, the great military leader and judge of Israel, broke his vow and lost all his strength while Samuel kept his and enjoyed the blessings and the benefits that come with it. As believers, we too have made a vow of consecration. Many of us who grew up in the faith were dedicated to the Lord as babies, especially in Protestant churches. And this was done by our parents and our family in a dedication ceremony. And that dedication is a vow of consecration to God, made on our behalf. It's a vow to be set apart unto God. Far too many times, dedication is looked at as just another ritual, devoid of any real meaning. But vows are very serious matters. We need to understand that dedication is consecration, and we need to conduct ourselves in light of that understanding. Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2 in the English Standard Version says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath, to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Even if we haven't been dedicated in a ceremony, we've all made a vow of consecration to the Lord ourselves. When we became saved and born again, we gave our lives to Christ, and we became part of the family of God, peculiar people who are set apart. We, in effect, pledge our lives in service to God. We need to take this pledge very seriously and allow our understanding of this pledge to influence how we speak and act on a day-to-day -day basis. When we stay faithful in serving the Lord and keeping our vow to Him, He will grant us all the benefits promised in His Word. Psalm 61 and 5 in the ESV says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. And that heritage is available to us today if we claim those promises and keep our vow. Once we make our pledge, like Samson and Samuel, we receive an unusual and a special gift. The gift that we receive is the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18 says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Having the Holy Spirit living within us is the greatest and the most special gift that we could ever receive in this world. It is the Holy Spirit within us that gives us the power to keep our vow. Two weeks ago, we studied about the earnest of the Spirit, 
which directly correlates with what we're studying here today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22 says, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. In many other versions of the Bible, the word earnest is translated as pledge or as a pledge. The NSAB version reads, Who also sealed us and gave the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. When we make our pledge to God, He makes His pledge to us because we are entering into a covenant with Him. And the Lord's pledge is only an earnest, a down payment. When we stay faithful, God will bless us abundantly, a hundredfold. David said, My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's receive God's pledge that he makes to us today. Judges 16 and 20 said, And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. The Hebrew word for had departed is the word sar, which according to Strong's concordance means to turn aside. God turned aside from Samson, but he never truly left him, because then he would have broken his promise to never leave or forsake us. Man may break his vows, but God never breaks his. We, like Samson, are prone to make mistakes, because we're born into our fallen human nature. When we fail to uphold our end of the vow, it's easy to feel like God has left us, but he never truly, fully departs from us. He may turn aside for a season, but he is always right there, ready to catch us if we start to fall. The reason he turns away is because he lets us try to be in control of our own lives until we realize that we need him. Later on, in verse 28, when he needed the help of the Lord, it says, And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me, I pray thee, only this once. O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. God was right there the whole time and gave him help when he needed it the most. God will do the same for us if we just call on his name. Like Peter beginning to sink on the water, who called on Jesus and was rescued. All we need to do is call on Jesus. We serve a God of second chances. God's departing and returning to Samson is a foreshadowing of the covenant of grace within the age of the Levitical law that Samson lived in. Samson himself, although not a perfect parallel, is a foreshadowing and a type of Christ, the same way that Isaac was a type of Christ. His birth was announced by an angel who consecrated his life to God. He lived a life full of great acts and exploits. Then he was betrayed by someone that he loved into the hands of his enemies who imprisoned him and humiliated him. Even in Samson's darkest hour, at his death, he obtained a great victory. We see through these similarities and through this foreshadowing that God can use anyone for his purposes, even someone who failed to keep their vow. Not only did he foreshadow Christ, but he also experienced firsthand the grace that Christ would usher in. Even if we fail to keep our end of the vow, God still gives grace, and through that power of the Holy Spirit within you, he has given you the power to get back up again. And this is a great promise that God has given us, a great inheritance. And this is the heritage of the people of God, the peculiar chosen people who we are. So next time when you feel like you haven't kept your end of the vow, you haven't kept your pledge, that's okay. God gives second chances and you can get up again when you call on the name of Jesus.
We today need to understand our consecration to the Lord and walk in it. The world will know us by our fruit. And in the same way people will understand that we are living a consecrated life by the fruit that it produces in our life. We should never take it lightly that we are consecrated to God. It's an honor and a privilege to live a life dedicated to the service of God. We need to understand our vow and keep it. We also need to let God's pledge of the Holy Spirit have control to work in and through us so our vow can influence our daily life. Let's make the choice today to stay faithful to our consecration and to enjoy the abundant blessings and benefits that God has laid up for us. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we make that vow today. We pledge our lives again in your service, Lord God. And we thank you that we can make this vow, that you've made that available to us. And that even if we fail, because you know that we are only fallen men, that you will give us the grace to get back up again and to start over. Lord, we thank you for grace and for second chances. And Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit within us. We thank you that you have given us your pledge and your vow to us. We accept the gift of the Holy Spirit. Fill us up to overflowing with your Spirit. And thank you for the strength of the Spirit to help us keep our vows. Lord, we thank you. We bless your name. We worship you. And we love you, Lord. We give you all the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to make a vow to God and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. If you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you would like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We also appreciate if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from. And if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.